0: be seated. Um, We'll get right to work today. If you have a Bible, please turn with me to Romans 15. It will take us a while to get there, but that is one of the places we're headed today, Romans 15. If you don't have a Bible, there are some in the back at the coffee bar. Feel free to grab one and take it home with you if you don't own a copy. We've said for the last month that a church is God's people, so it's an identity we have not an activity we go to, that we are God's people and that we exist under the Word of God to make disciples for the glory of God. So today we're going to look at that last piece for the glory of God. We've said that we have a shared identity, that we're God's people, that we have a shared authority, that we submit ourselves willingly to the Scriptures. And last week we talked about having a shared mission, that we exist ultimately not for ourselves but to communicate and demonstrate the Gospel to others. Today we come to the last piece of that, shared motive. Why is it that we exist as God's people? Why do we covenant to live under the Word of God? Why do we have this mission? Well, ultimately it is because we want to do everything for the glory of God. So my premise today for you, if I could just say it in a sentence, is that as God's people we do all things to make much of our great God. So if you need to leave now, I'll just say it again so it's very clear. As God's people, we do all things to make much of our great God. Now that certainly is a a Christian thing to say. That's certainly what the Scriptures tell us. But there's probably a lot of us in the room that either don't believe that or have struggles understanding why would that be true? Why should we really live that way? And so the remaining time I want to try and persuade you that that is the truth and encourage us to live in light of it. So here's a few things the Bible tells us about God. Eternal, unchanging, present everywhere. Sovereign, meaning in total, complete control. Never surprised, never defeated all-powerful, knows everything actual and everything possible, just, loving, benevolent, gracious, seeks the highest good of his own people at great cost to himself, merciful, independent from his creation, and yet intricately involved in everything that happens in it, righteous, perfect, no sin, no error, no mistake, no hypocrisy, completely set apart from evil, but also devoted to everything that's good. He's consistent, truthful, genuine, trustworthy, great, personal, long-suffering, the avenger of every act of evil that's ever committed, and yet is completely patient with you and me and the things that we do wrong. He's self-existent. He's the provider. Those of you that have done church a long time, you may remember a time when people carried around banners. Anybody remember that? That was creepy. But it was meant to say God is our our banner. He's the one that goes before us into things that are difficult. God is our peace. He's the sanctifier, the shepherd, the healer, the mighty one, Lord, Master, King, Savior, high and mighty, Messiah, everlasting, mighty one. Christians, this is God. Why do we live to exalt Him and not us? Well, that's why. That's... Some of the reasons, that's this God that we've been singing to today. Amen? But maybe that's too abstract. Maybe that's just ideas out there about a person you can't see. So let's bring it a bit closer to home. When you walked in this morning, you felt the warm sun on your body. Maybe warmer than you wanted it to be at this point in the year. The light that hit you left the sun 8 minutes and 20 seconds before you felt it. That's crazy that it takes that long for that light to hit you. The galaxy we live in has 40 billion stars. And now we have enough science and the ability to look far enough out that we know there are billions and billions and billions of galaxies beyond ours. And within our own galaxy, it is now estimated that we can observe. So the observable universe is 47 billion years in every direction. Wow! Now think about that, how I don't know how you think about 47 billion years in every direction. But hear this, Psalm 147, verse 3. He determines the number of stars. He gives to them all their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Wow. When you look out at night and you see just a tiny handful of those stars, remember God put them there simply by speaking words. Or Psalm 8, when you look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man or woman that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? God is that big, that amazing, that other, that powerful. Who are we in light of that? Now that still may be too abstract for you. Who can really comprehend 47 billion years in any direction? I can't. So let's talk about feet. (laughs) Feet are disgusting. Let's go to the next picture. I think there's two. Nope, just one foot. Two feet, one picture. All right, let's talk about feet. There are 26 bones in each of your feet. So, those of you that excel in math, that's 52. So 52 bones in your feet. That's one-fourth of all the bones in your entire body. Every time you take a step, there are miracles happening. Let me see if I can describe that for you. There's an intricate system of muscles and tendons and bones and nerves and blood vessels that work together. Together... All of those bones, 66 joints, more than 200 tendon muscles and ligaments, as well as blood vessels and nerves work together to move you forward. Every step is a miracle. It's a miracle. Our gross, nasty, disgusting feet are miracles. Every step is a reminder. There is a God who's incredible. Now the Scriptures tell us that too. Song of Solomon, verse 7 How beautiful are your feet in sandals, O noble daughter. Your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a master hand. Men in the room, don't talk to a woman like that. (laughs) She will know you're lying. Feet are not beautiful. But in all seriousness, Psalm 139 puts it like this. Speaking to God, you, God, formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. God made you. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are all your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Friends, the glory of God, His greatness, His power, His incredible ability, is not some far off, 47 billion years away concept. It's in your own person. It's in your stinking feet. God made you. He literally knows everything about you. Do you feel that? Does that have an impact on you? It's personal. The same God who created the universe is the same God in all his creativity and ingenuity and brilliant power that made you. You weren't an accident. You're not here by chance. God made you. You have a Creator who's personal and loving and He longs to be your greatest joy and your supreme treasure. He knows everything there is to know about you. Not the image you seek to portray, but the truth. And yet He's still gracious and hope-filled and forgiving and merciful and loving. What is church? It's It's a group of people who come together to acknowledge that to each other in the stuff of everyday life. That's church. For the church, brothers and sisters, our ultimate motive should be the glory of God in everything. Is it ringing or is that my hearing aid? That was not a rhetorical question. Thank you. The glory of God is what we've said. It's that He can speak words and make billions and billions and billions of stars. He can speak words and He can form you. And then somehow the same God who's controlling and sustaining and by His power maintaining everything can still have an active personal care and love directed towards you. So why do we glorify God? Because... There is no being anywhere else like that. That's why we glorify God. To glorify God means we point to Him, we worship Him, we acknowledge Him with our praise and obedience and honor. Here's a few verses that talk about that. It's for this reason that God freed the Israelites out of Egypt. So why ultimately did God rescue a people so long ago from slavery in Egypt and deliver them out of Egypt. Exodus 7 verse 16 says, God demanded of Pharaoh, let my people go so that they could get fat and sassy. Let my people go so that they could have all the stuff they want. Let my people go so that nothing bad would ever happen to them. Let my people go so that they could live forever and have all the possessions and spouses and children they want. No, he said, let my people go that they may worship me. That's why God let them out. Later in the book of Isaiah, it says, Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws. So, God, why do we live obediently to you? Yes, Lord, walking in the ways of your laws. We wait for you. Why? Why? For your name and your renown are the desires of our hearts. God, we live for you. We obey you. We seek you because we want you to be honored. Even what we talked about last week, making much of God, sharing the gospel, living out our faith is ultimately for God. First Peter 2 says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers... They may see your good deeds and glorify God. Literally, everywhere we turn in Scripture, Scripture tells us a message that you're not going to hear in most American evangelical churches. is that the Gospel isn't finally about you. It's about God. And the Gospel is designed, the truth of Scripture is ultimately for God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, a very famous passage puts it like this. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Our ultimate motive in literally everything we do should be to point to God. Now how, how though, how do we do that? How as a church in particular do we glorify God? How is it that we as a group that are massively diverse, that come from very different backgrounds and experiences. How can we glorify God? Well, there's big obvious things, and those are important, but really today I want to talk about the little ones. So look at Romans 15. Here's one of the ways the Scriptures tell us we can glorify God. Look at chapter 15, verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ, so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as God has welcomed you. Why? For the glory of God. So how is it that we as a church family can make much of this God who simply spoke words and created billions of stars? How can we magnify the God who created these little miracles called our feet that work for decades? How does that happen? Well, it's not in some brilliant, magnificent, complex way. It's simply by welcoming each other by opening our homes, by opening our church building, by inviting people to come in and share a meal with us, by doing for some people what never happens for them anywhere else, by taking an interest in them, by asking them questions, not so that you can compare yourself to them and talk about how great you are, but by taking a genuine interest in them, by listening, by praying for them, by sharing the things that we have. That we encourage one another and live in harmony with one another. What do you think it means to live in harmony with your brothers and sisters in Christ? What does that mean? What does that look like? Love to hear an example or two. That we don't judge one another in the sense of uh, because you've done that, then you can't follow God or do this or that. Yeah. What else? We forgive each other. Um, has, has anyone in this faith family ever done anything to you that was really dumb and hurtful? How about this morning? Anybody been offended today so far? Yes, we will make mistakes towards each other. We will say things that hurt in a way that isn't helpful. We will fail to do things that we should have done. That's true. We will. And so there is an active need to be forgiving towards each other. What else? Smooth? What do you mean? Smooth criminal. Is that what you're talking about? (laughs) That we make an effort to, to live out the peace of God towards each other. That we, not, we don't pick fights. That if we have conflict, it's over something that matters. It's not over something that's petty. And that when we do have conflict, we do it well. We listen. We take an effort to not be selfish, to not be prideful, to hear. Yeah? To ease other that we make an effort to, where there is difficulty in each other's lives, to ease those things by Aiding one another in practical ways. Yeah, fantastic. So that, friends, those are all things designed by God that we would do to live out the truthfulness of the gospel and to do that in such a way that God is made much of. Now, if we had the time, we could go back to each of those things you've just named and say, how does forgiving magnify God? And it wouldn't be hard to figure that out, Right? So people without God don't tend to be particularly forgiving people. Why? They don't have the resource through which to do it. People without God don't tend to live life in a smooth way in the midst of difficulty. Why? It's not because they're worse off than us. It's not because they're weak. It's because there's not the resource to draw from the life of christ within them so the everyday stuff of living as christians is designed by god to make much of him because it indicates there's something different in us and that difference isn't an abstract concept that difference isn't a political bent that difference isn't behavioral reform That difference is a radical transformation by the living Christ who died for us. Another scripture that says that is 1 Peter 4. We've gone through the book together, but let me just read you a few verses. 1 Peter 4, 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, I find those words kind of shocking. Shocking. Peter would say to the church, above all, above everything else you do, keep loving each other earnestly. Reaching out to somebody who you don't see for a while or pursuing somebody who hurt you and telling them, that hurt, but I've forgiven you. Seeking somebody out that's, that you don't particularly think you'd hang out with apart from Jesus. Doing those things communicates that we love each other earnestly because God's loved us. And Peter says, above everything else we do, that's most important. Love each other since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to each other without grumbling as each one has received a gift. So as God gave you a spiritual gift when you were saved, use it to serve each other as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Why? In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. It is everywhere in the scriptures that God is to be honored, God is to be glorified. I love the way Ray Ortland put it in a little book I've been reading. Scripture's clear. Christians have to choose between isolation, which is easy, and belonging, which is costly and much more satisfying. There is no churchless Christianity in the Bible. We individualistic Americans need to face that. God is building a new community and it's worth belonging to. Have you found that to be true? Now, How do we do that? Well... You do it practically in all the little things we've been talking about. You also do that in the way we're structured as a church. We've organized ourselves in gospel communities and in connection classes and seeking to build a culture where people understand we're all called by God to make disciples of each other. But ultimately, that's got to happen not through the structures of the church, but through God living out the life of Christ through us in everyday life. Chester and Timmis, who have helped us a lot, put it like this. The gospel word and the gospel community must be central to Christian practice. But our hearts should be fixed on the grace of God, the love of God, the glory of God. The only true center of Christian existence is God himself. Do you have a category for that? Like the stuff we do and the way we do it is really important. And we've put a lot of thought into it. But ultimately, that's not what it's really about. Ultimately, it's about God himself living in us through the Spirit and that being obvious to other people. Do do you have a category for that? I hope so. Because as a church, ultimately what we're about is God, not us. God, not our buildings. God, not what we happen to call the latest stuff we're doing. God. For Churchill Mill to really make that much of God, then we'll have to be an outpost, an embassy of heaven here on earth where there's such a difference difference in the way we love and forgive that it draws people to Christ. When it happens, it's beautiful, isn't it? It's amazing. That puts the love and power of God on display for all to see. That glorifies and exalts God. Now, friends, this is the core message of Christianity. And frankly, nothing, there's nothing I could stand here and say to you today that would be in greater stark contrast to the norms of our culture. There could be no different message that would stand out more starkly. So because of that, it's my assumption that some of us in the room have some objections to what I've said, that if the core of life is we live together for God's glory, that maybe there's some remaining dangling chads, if you will. Maybe there's some things that don't quite click for you. I would like to spend a remaining few minutes together, seeing if we can cover a couple of common objections to this idea. So here's the first one. We can't stand people who are enamored with themselves. Correct? Nobody likes the person, except that person, who loves themselves, who is enamored with just how awesome they are. We don't like those people. We don't enjoy being around people who are always talking about themselves, how much money they have, how smart they are, how attractive they are, how they can run or jump or skip or hop or shoot a ball or swim further or can dance better than we can. We, in particular, don't like people who know how to solve all of America's problems or our problems. We're not interested in hanging out with those folks very much. Correct? Now, let me speak something that I am absolutely 100% confident some of you think and feel, but you're not going to say out loud. Isn't God like that? So if God says, now not anybody else, if God says, everything is ultimately about me, I created you, I rescued you, I sustain you for me. You draw another breath for me. When you say no to yourself and yes to me, that's about me. Doesn't that sound a little bit like, aren't I fantastic and amazing and I can jump further than you? Nanny, nanny, boo, boo. (laughs) Here's the difference. Why is it that we don't like people that are like that? It's not true. It's not true because the reason some people are like that is because they're trying to cover up what's broken about them. They're really not strong. They're weak. They're weaker than the people that are aware of their weaknesses and readily admit them. That's why we don't like them. We don't like them because they're trying to hide the fact that that they have problems. Does God have problems? Is God weak in any way? So God is the one being in the cosmos who has no weakness, who has nothing to hide or cover up, who's perfect. So to compare the fourth grade boy on the playground who's bragging because he kicked the kickball further to the other person, to the God who has always existed and who has never failed, is utterly foolish. And yet, it's incredibly easy to do. God being for God is ultimately a very good thing. And that leads us to the second thing. I'd like to tell you, or the second problem or objection, which likely would be for the rest of us in the room. Say goodbye to happiness. What's best in the entire universe? (laughs) What's the very best thing you could possibly have? You're revealing your hearts right now. (laughs) The very best thing isn't a newer car, a better job, a more slick church, prettier feet. Those things are fine, but they're not ultimate. The degree you're seeking, the place you'd really like to live, The spouse you'd like to trade in, getting a spouse, those things aren't, are not, they simply are not the very best thing that you could possibly have. If God is supremely loving and merciful and kind, then doesn't it make sense that He would give us His people? what is ultimately best for us? Like, that, that's not a, a logical deduction that takes far to get to. If God is the very best, and most incredible being that exists, then wouldn't it make sense if God says, live for my glory, that that would be what's also best for us? just logically speaking, okay? I'm not asking if you believe it. I'm saying, does the concept make sense? Yes, it does. But it's easy to think, well, then say goodbye to my happiness. If I can't live for myself, if I'm supposed to live for God, then ugh, I might do it, but that's going to be miserable. There's a version of Christianity out there that says, Obey the rules, follow the commands. Yes, church is boring and outdated and stale and abstract and detached from life, but go anyway. Buckle down, toughen up, try harder, give, 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 serve, 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 read, read, read. doesn't make any difference how you feel about it. You just have to do it. God's not interested in your joy and peace. He only wants your obedience. That version of Christianity frames God as the taskmaster that loves it when you mess up so he can swat you with the ruler. But that God does not exist. Your grumpy mother, or your grumpy grandfather, or your judgmental aunt, or your neighbor that called himself a Christian might have told you that. But it's not true. That God is not a God who exists. God's joy is not in creating detached laws that make your life miserable. God's not interested in limiting your fun so that you can know He's in charge. That's not what the rules are for. Do you know when you go to the mall and they have those uh, toys that you can climb on and they're squishy and the ground squishy and it has a wall around it? Everybody know what I'm talking about? That wall is not designed for the one-year-old To not have fun. That wall is designed to say, it's squishy in here and it's not out there. Stay in here. (laughs) Friends, that's the commands of God. They're designed to keep you in the squishy stuff. Friends, if your understanding of God is that... God wants me in the stuff that's good for me. Then you'll see him as a good, benevolent, loving God. If your version, if your understanding, if your way of looking at God is, God is so far away and he's so angry. He's just like my dad. Then you will, you will never seek to glorify him in all of life. And you certainly won't do it among a people who are weird. Christianity is the message that God is for God and that God being for God is the ultimate good for us. C.S. Lewis put it like this, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. Now, This will require you putting on your thinking cap, okay? So put on your thinking caps and listen to the rest of this. It is its appointed consummation. It's not out of compliment that lovers keep telling each other how beautiful they are. The delight is complete till it is expressed. That is good. Is there a way to sit down with friends over a good meal and good beverage, and to deeply enjoy the flavors of that meal, the conversation that takes place, the, the joy of being together. Can you do that? Yes, you can. Is there a way to do the exact same thing? Sit and enjoy a, a good piece of meat? some good vegetables, some good bread, a good drink. And to do that with people you love. But to take that food and to enjoy that conversation in such a way that it it rounds up into praise of God. Because it reminds you, I can taste this because God made taste buds. And I'm eating this not because... I'm such a great person and I've worked so hard but because God's given me abilities. And I I have these relationships not because I'm fantastically attractive and my company is just overwhelming to people (laughs) but because God's given me the joy of relationships. And all of that makes much of God. Is there a way to do that? There is. And Lewis is saying until you've done that then you haven't really found joy at its fullest because all the little joys in life are meant to point us to the great joy. When we see that, then everything, everything becomes an opportunity to praise God, not as an end in itself, but as a tiny joy that rounds up into an ultimate joy. So here's what I'm getting at. Far from being a cosmic killjoy, God is committed to your good. And it turns out what's good for you is to not make life about you, but to make it about God. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. Apart from you, deep in sin is fullness of joy. You realize how silly that sounds? But yet, how often we live like that? God says, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. Friends, our happiness is genuine happiness when it's not based on circumstances, but when it's based on the reality of who God is and the gift we have of getting to know Him and live in light of Him. That's the greatest possible news you could have. Let's pray. God, we're well aware that literally everything else in our lives tells us that what we've said today isn't the truth. Every ad we see on TV, every article of clothing we put on, every bit of food we put in our mouth, every time we go to work, Society is built on the ideal that if I'm autonomous, if I'm the center of my life, if I can get what I want, then there's happiness and joy. And yet, God, we know experientially that that simply doesn't work. And yet I pray that we would come to the truth that life is meant to be lived to the glory of God, not ultimately because I've tried everything else and didn't work, but because we are people who sit under your word and your word tells us to live life to your glory. And your word tells us what you're like and that you're so different than we are and that you're you're not an abstract concept that we can't experience until we die, you're a real person that's here even now. I pray those of us in the room who are Christians, who have given our lives to you and received in return salvation, and particularly those who have committed here as brothers and sisters, the members of, of Church on Mill, that our driving motivation would not be ourselves, but would be your goodness, your glory. And that that would be expressed in the way that we love each other. I pray if there's any believers in the room who have not yet made that commitment here, or who haven't proclaimed their salvation and baptism... That they would before they leave the room today go to some leader here and say, I'm, I'm ready to commit. I pray for those in the room who have not yet said, I'm crossing from life is about me to life is about God. For those who are still caught in in sin. Not in the sense of I still struggle at times, but I'm living in darkness, not in the light. We pray today, God, that through the message that we've shared, that that they would see, like the rest of us have, that life is meant to be lived for you, and I haven't been living for you. In fact, I've made life about me, and you call that sin. I pray that they would know that Christ left heaven, came to earth, lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death, in order that that sin could be transferred to him. And he he could die instead of them. And that Christ didn't stay in the grave that he rose to demonstrate his victory. I pray that even now as I'm praying, they would turn to you, confess that sin and find life in you. God, you tell us when that happens, there's rejoicing in heaven. And because of that, there's rejoicing here in this room. I pray, Father, that they would, before they leave, Communicate that they've done that to someone so that we can help them live in light of that commitment. We praise you. In Jesus' name.